Hello and welcome to Joel Johnson's Money Wisdom. I'm John Stillman alongside Joel Johnson, Certified Financial Planner and the CEO of Johnson Brunetti, the official wealth management partner of the Yukon Huskies. Joel has been published in Forbes and the Hartford Business Journal. He's the host of Better Money on WFSB Channel 3 on the Saturday and Sunday morning news with Kara Sunland, also on WCBV Channel 5 in Boston. He's been an analyst for Fox, Connecticut, NBC 30, and WTNH Channel 8, and he's authored six of his own books, including most famously, the money map. Joel, hope you're doing great today. And a uh, question to start it off. So I saw this the other day. Larry Fink, who if the average person maybe isn't familiar with Larry Fink, but he's the CEO of BlackRock. You've probably heard of BlackRock. BlackRock just passed $9 trillion in assets. Yeah. So, uh, well, I think they probably are the biggest assets under management firm at this depending, point, right? Yeah, depending on how you measure it. But they're Definitely one of the top three. There's different ways of measuring that, but definitely one of the top three. So Larry Fink, their CEO, said recently that he foresees the stock market rising in 2021, although not nearly as robustly as it did in the second half of 2020, which when I hear that, to me, that sounds like a meaningless statement because how could it ever do what it did for the last six months of 2020? Like it, We could still have a great year and it not be as good as the last six months of 2020. Yeah, well, if you just take from the low, I think it was April. First, Bottomed first out in like late March, yeah. Okay, yeah, so the, the, the late March to the end, it had to be up, what, 60%, something like that? It yeah. was unbelievable. So, yeah, so I think to say, oh, it won't be as good as it was in 2020, even if you take where it started at the beginning, it was still up. And some stocks were up incredibly. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you're right, John. It doesn't It doesn't mean a whole lot. I mean, we could still have a up 15, 18% year, which would be a good year for the S&P 500, and it wouldn't be better than the previous year. So I could, uh, you're right, Larry isn't making too dramatic of a prediction there. Like that guitarist in your little garage band, he's pretty good, but he's not as good as Jimmy Page. Well, uh, okay, he can still be good. Yeah, he can still be good. That's right. So That's right. anyway, I thought that was kind of a meaningless statement, but interesting to hear nonetheless. Okay, Joel, we're going to make you tell some stories today. I'm going to just give you a – you remember – you ever have a writing test where you had a writing prompt? Well, yes. I'm, I'm going to give you a prompt, and you can tell us the story, okay? Okay. Uh, what is the messiest financial situation that you've ever helped somebody navigate? Boy, there's been a lot of them. Um, but I think I can think of one right off the top of my head that wasn't so messy. It was just it – was, it was amazing that the people did not want to face reality. So years ago, a couple comes in. They own a house in Connecticut. They own a house in Vermont, both paid off. They want to do retirement planning. They only have $40,000 saved. House in Vermont's probably worth $350,000. House here in Connecticut's probably worth about the same. And uh, they met with uh, one of my partners here, and the partner told them the truth. He said, look, if you want to have any income in retirement, you need to sell one of these houses or do a reverse mortgage on the Vermont house, but you can't do a reverse mortgage on the Vermont house because you, that's not your permanent residence. And and uh, But he was pretty much telling them to sell the house because what they wanted in retirement income was impossible. And they got so upset that he had told them the truth that they actually complained to me, um, you know, wanting me to set him straight when in actuality, you know, he told them the truth. And the amazing thing is they had met with some other financial advisor not too long before that, and the person didn't want to tell them the truth. So um, I don't know what they told them, but th- that that comes to mind. Other situations come to mind where... You know, people have had 
you know, we do this money map for people where we put all their accounts on one page and we ran out of space because I think they had about 47 accounts uh, in all different places, all kinds of duplication and so on. Those are probably the messiest things um, because people either don't know what's going on or they're a couple and one of them is like an engineer or something that has everything on an Excel spreadsheet and the other person just wants to know if, if they're going to be okay and there's just – there's not – the communication isn't working and the situation's way more complicated than it needs to be. So that's not a specific situation, John, to answer your question, that, that second one there. Um, but that is what we see a lot, people's situations being way more complex. I can guarantee you in my house, so I, all I can guarantee is what goes on in my house, but the older I get, the more simple I want things. And I've got quite a bit of, of uh, investments, you know, various different types of variety, but, you know, it takes some time to manage those things and I'm in this business. And so uh, there's, there's, there's genius in simplicity and where people make the biggest messes is where they just overcomplicate their situation and they overcomplicate decisions. All right. Very interesting. So uh, how did that situation pan out, by the way, when those folks came and complained to you that one of your advisors was saying, hey, you need to sell the house? I mean, how did you, how did that go after they talked to you? Uh, they didn't do business with us. I mean, they just went somewhere else. I don't know where they went. I don't know if they still have the house. Uh, I can still picture their faces in, in uh, my mind, you know, being upset that we told them the truth. I think a lot of people do that with churches sometimes. Well, I'm going to go to a church where the pastor tells me what I want to hear, yeah. not what I need to hear. Yeah, yeah. What is it? What's the, what do they say? You find the perfect church, and it won't be perfect when you get there. Yeah, right. Exactly. Um, okay, so here's another story time prompt for you. What's the biggest mistake you made early in your career, Joel, that you had to learn from? Oh, boy. Here's a good one. <laughs> so uh, I love cars, as most people know. I bought a Corvette a used Corvette and financed it for seven years, 84 months I financed this car for because I just wanted the car. I just I completely had a moment of financial insanity. I didn't care. The car was a good deal, but, it, but, but I, I had no business buying this car. And so um, and this is really early on in my career, probably the first year or so in my career. And um, I was driving this, this Oldsmobile Omega. Um, that my wife and I bought. I think we bought that car for $1,100. And for those of you that don't know what an Omega is, there's a reason why there no longer is an Oldsmobile Omega. <laughs> I was going to say, I've never heard of that. It's it's just this, you know, it was their least expensive car. And uh, I bought that used. And then uh, it was time to upgrade a little bit because I got a better job and I went way to the other extreme. So that was very, very foolish. And luckily I did sell that car after two years when we had our first child and um, got out of it what I owed on it, so that was good. Does Wendy still let you hear about that? Well, remember that time you spent too much on the car? She hasn't brought that up in a long time. I, I'm going to remind her of that this evening and see uh, see if she, she'll probably remember. She has a tendency not to forget these things. Yeah, well, that's what makes her a good wife. Um, okay, how about this? What's the luckiest thing you've ever seen happen to somebody, financially speaking? I don't think you've ever had a lottery winner come to you as a client, but what's the luckiest financial thing you've seen somebody fall into? Um, it's probably, uh, it, it would be two, and again, not somebody specific here that I'm thinking of, but it would be two things. One is they get out of the market just before the market crashes. And the shame of that situation is they think they did it because they were smart. They don't realize how much luck is involved. You know, it's interesting when you 
read extensively like I do, and you'll read like some of the most brilliant investors and hedge fund managers uh, in the world that manage billions of dollars, and most of them that aren't complete uh, what are called al- algorithmic traders um, that actually pick stocks and, and so on, uh, most of them will admit that they get lucky. And yet some people get lucky and they don't have the wisdom to realize how lucky they got. And so, you know, every once in a while I have somebody that comes in and says, yeah, I got out of the market right at the peak in 2000 before it crashed. What? You're, you're, so you work for blank company you know, mid-level manager, and you somehow saw something that um, that all these brilliant people on Wall Street didn't see. Maybe you just got a little lucky. And and the the danger there is that people don't realize that they got lucky, and uh, um, and they're you know they make they get that one thing right, and then they get about six or seven other things wrong out over the course of their life, and it just costs them dearly. Um, the other thing is somebody will just pick a stock and. Um, and uh, I, this is probably a little less lucky because there's actually a little more um, validity to this where somebody will say, you know what, I bought a Tesla and this is a really nice car. I think I'm going to buy some of the stock. And the stock just goes through the roof. Or you know, like my dad, my dad, listen to this. So my dad buys $10,000 worth of Apple way back when. I, I don't know when, but it was way back when because he read some article on Steve Jobs and he kind of liked the guy. Okay. The stock goes to $20,000 and he sells half of it. He figures, wow, this is amazing. I can get all my money back and now I'm playing with, with profits. That stock right now is worth 600, I was just talking to him last week about it, like $680,000 from a $10,000 investment not that long ago. And uh, you know, what's involved there? It's luck. Now some of it is, okay, well he knew it was a good company and this guy seemed real creative and so on, but but that is luck because you can assign that, you know, you can attribute that same, hey, this guy's pretty creative and it seems like a good company to a lot of different companies that don't do what Apple did. Apple also worked out well for Forrest Gump. Lieutenant Dan got him into that fruit company so <laughs> we don't have to worry about money no more. There you go. Uh, all right, last story for you. What's the maddest you've ever been in your job? So this could be like anger directed at another advisor who really kind of screwed somebody over or maybe just a big company with a terrible product that they had on the market. What's the maddest you've been? I don't get super angry in my job. <laughs> um, a couple of things come to mind. One is from time to time we've had investments where we've done research on the investments. They looked good. A lot of other people thought you know, they looked good um, and they didn't work out. And they didn't work out for clients, and and I get angry about that when we were told something by the particular institutions that I don't want to say it wasn't true, but it certainly was a little bit of hype. And uh, you know, a lot of financial advisors won't talk about this, but you know, the reason they call it a portfolio, folks, is because you have some things that don't work out, and other things that work out real well, and they sort of even each other out, and you get a reasonable rate of return over time. But those ones that don't work out bother me. The other thing is just times in my life when I have got emotionally tied to an investment and lost money because of it. That's been a mistake that I've made. And I tell people this. I say, you know, you have no business, in my opinion, you have no business when you accumulate a pretty good nest egg managing your own money because you will not be able to shelter yourselves or separate yourselves from the emotion that comes around um, uh, greed, thinking you're missing out. You know, I had somebody come to me last week and ask about Bitcoin. Hey, everybody's talking about Bitcoin. It's gone up five times in the last little while. I should buy it now, right? Well, that's greed. 
or fear of loss and doing the wrong thing at the wrong time. And if I can succumb to that with my own money, then in my opinion, anybody can. And so, um, so I've gotten upset at myself when I've made the mistakes that I know that we won't make for our clients because we, we, you know, we don't engage in that type of emotional behavior. Um, but when I do it for my own accounts or when I have done it in my own accounts, it's gotten me pretty upset. Bottom line is that if you want to avoid having emotions play a part of your financial situation, having that money map in place really makes a difference. Yeah, have a money map or a financial plan. Talk to an advisor that can be your coach. You know, the reason very wealthy people have financial advisors is because they want somebody to keep them on track. They realize that either they want their situation simplified and somebody taking care of things or they want somebody to protect them from their own emotions. And so that's what we do. When we work with people here at our firm, Johnson Brunetti, we build a money map for you, which is a one-page financial plan. We'll have some backup to that. One of the biggest things people want to know is, hey, will I run out of money before I die? Will I have enough to support the lifestyle that my spouse and I have dreamed about? Am I going to pay too much in taxes? We cover all of that in the money map. So call and get your money map. We had a lot of calls last weekend. We, we barely had enough space on the calendar to, to fit all the appointments in. And so call now. We only have a limited amount of appointments at one 800 705-1232. What happens when you make that call? Well, first of all, we'll schedule a time for you to get your own money map. We'll either sit down with you here in the office or we can do it on Zoom and we'll have a nice cup of coffee with you virtually or, or in person. We'll ask you some questions. We'll give you a second opinion without any pressure without any obligation, but you'll want to at least get your money map. Even if we never do business with you, get your money map. It will show you where you're at and where you're measuring up to where you want to go. Do your investments, do your behaviors measure up to what your dreams are? Many times the answer to that is no, and we can give you the guidance to set yourself up in a way that's going to be positive and going to have a better chance of reaching those goals. So call 1-800-705-1232. one 800 7051232 call now or text your first and last name when you come in we will also give you a copy of my book the people's retirement handbook it's my newest book um, people have said they love it because it tells some behind the scenes stories of what happens in a financial firm again that number to call or text whichever is easiest for you 800-705-1232 that's 800-705-1232 no cost or obligation to come in for your own money map retirement review. 800-705-1232. Remember, you will get a copy of one of Joel's books when you come in for your visit. You can get the money map or forced to retire or the people's retirement handbook, whichever one you feel fits you the best. Once again, 800-705-1232. You're listening to Joel Johnson's Money Wisdom. Joel is a certified financial planner and the CEO of Johnson Brunetti, the official wealth management partner of the Yukon Huskies. Joel, let's open up the mailbag, and we'll start the mailbag today with a question from Anthony, who says, as an over-the-road truck driver, I'm currently a W-2 employee, but my company is giving me the option of moving to independent contractor status. This would mean I'd be able to earn a lot more, but I'd need to lease or buy a truck, and I'd lose access to the company's 401k plan. Do you think it's worth making this change? And I'm, I'm curious to hear your answer to this, because a truck driver, I think, is a very underrated profession in terms of the money you can make. A lot of those guys are doing really well. Yeah, it's a it's a different kind of life, um, but they are doing well. Some of them, um, some of them are struggling. 
I always had this uh, idea. I love to travel so much. I say to my wife every once in a while, wouldn't it be cool to be a truck driver? Look, you get to, you know, wake up and start in Boston and by, you know, the end of the next day you're in Minneapolis or Texas. I don't know if you can go all the way to Texas in two days, but um, but you're right. It is an underappreciated position. So the gentleman, again, just to recap, so he is an employee of the company right now, which means he's got employee benefits. He's got certain protections under labor laws. He's got 401k. He probably has some health insurance options. He is paying half of his social security because the company is paying the other half. And so he's they got that choice and he's driving one of their trucks versus becoming an independent contractor where right away the money is more. The, the gross income, not net after expenses, which is your real income, but the gross revenues are higher. But then he's going to have to pay twice the amount of Social Security than he's paying right now because he's got to pay both the employer and the employee side. He's going to have to pick up health insurance from somewhere. Um, he's going to have to withhold for taxes. Um, and he's got to pick up you know, a number of other things that are probably being offered by the company, and he's got to lease that truck. So, you know, this is not just a, it's mostly a financial decision, and I would need to see one side versus the other. Um, but it's also a little bit of a simplicity decision, right? What you're doing right now is really simple. You work for a company, when you get a check, that's that's what you made. And when you're an independent contractor, you know, you're running a business. You've got gross income coming in, total amount. Let's say it's $100,000. you got a whole bunch of expenses that come out of that. you also got some responsibilities to manage things and keep books and all that kind of stuff. And then you have a net amount at the end of the year. And let's just say the net amount is, you know, $40,000. Well, are you making more at the job being an employee than you would netting out 40000 on your own. A lot of people make the mistake of looking at the total amount of income they have without forgetting a whole bunch of expenses come out of that that are not coming out of my income right now. Joe, how true do you think it is that some people are just really wired to be entrepreneurs and to be self-employed and some people really just should not do that? Some people really should be employees. I firmly believe that some people should just be employees. I think most people that are employees don't realize how good they have it they oversimplify working for themselves and it can be complicated there's a lot of people say i don't care i want to work for myself i don't care what it you know what it is or how complicated it is i just want to be that person that wants to see if i can do it by myself and that's great more power to you that's what i did when i started this firm um but on the other hand you have it pretty good as an employee you don't have to worry about a lot of things that are just provided to you so don't underestimate it, the simplicity that comes and the security that comes of working for another company uh, another question in the mailbag, this is from Marina, who says, my husband and I have separate bank accounts, so I don't really have a clear picture of what he spends money on, and I guess he's also in the dark about my spending habits. What's the best way for us to get a retirement plan put together so that both of our spending needs can be met? We've always had similar salaries, but in retirement, he's going to have a big pension, and I won't have one at all. Yeah, I'm against husbands and wives having different bank accounts. I can see that if you have a significant other and you're not... Um, legally bound to each other doing that but I think it's a really bad idea um, you're, I just that's a personal feeling I, I don't have any data for that but that's a personal feeling but I guess it's also based on experience when I see people coming in that are more financial secure they are sharing the accounts they're aware of everything that the other spouse is doing and so on so I just think it works better when you combine money so the question is how do you get a retirement plan well you need to share in a room together with one financial advisor uh, the situation. So if you want to keep those accounts separate, you can still keep those accounts separate, but you've got to look at one plan. 
And I think that's really, really important because, you know, if you just both have your own plans, what happens if one person gets in a ton of financial trouble and the other person doesn't? From a legal standpoint, if you're married, you're both in financial trouble. And so I think it just makes sense to come up with one financial plan. And then if you want to continue to run things separately, that's fine. But you're, you're in a dangerous spot right now because you don't know a mistake that could be made. You don't know a situation that maybe somebody does real well, but they're going to pay more taxes than they really need to because of lack of planning. And you're both signing a tax return if you're married filing jointly. And so, you know, you're both liable for that. So you, you ought to share with each other what's going on and sit down with a professional. Um, it's probably not going to go as poorly as you think. You probably think there's going to be maybe some arguing and some territorial disputes and things like that. Good financial planners, I mean, we, we deal with that all the time. And we know how to navigate through it without anybody getting offended or getting their feelings hurt or feeling like somebody's going to take something away from them. All right. Last question is from Simon, who says, I'm retiring soon and I'm worried about the fact that nearly all of my money is in 401ks and IRAs. Is there anything I can do to lessen the tax burden of this? Simon, that's a great question. I'm glad you're keyed in on taxes. So many people run around trying to get a little bit better of a rate of return. They think that's the holy grail when in reality, they're just paying way too much in taxes and that's what they should be focused on. And so there's a couple of things here. One is you may be taking money out of the wrong accounts when you retire. You said you're just about to retire. When you do retire, you're going to have a choice of where to pull your income from. And if you take the money out of the wrong accounts, you could end up paying over the course of your life much, much more than you have to in taxes. I, I mean, six figures more, maybe even more than that, maybe into the seven figures um, more than you have to pay in taxes. Um, also, you know, there's opportunities for charitable giving. If you if you give to charity, I was showing somebody this morning how, you know, you pay 30% less in taxes if you do a certain way than if you do it the other way. People think, oh, I've give to charity. I just get a tax deduction, right? Right. But the way you structure that gift can have a huge advantage to you from a tax standpoint on your other money that you don't give away to charity. So most people are paying much more than they need to in taxes. But Simon, I would need to see your individual situation. I love the fact, however, that you're focused on the taxes. There is not enough focus on taxes. You earn that money. That is your money. There's no honor in paying more taxes than you have to. So be smart about it. And if you want to give money to charity or even give more money to the federal government, that's a choice that you can make. It certainly sounds like you don't want to make that. And I think most people don't want to pay more taxes uh, than they can, but most people do pay more taxes than they have to. So, Joel, I think uh, all those questions that folks ask today in the mailbag, great examples of people that need to come in for their Money Map Retirement Review. Give us the quick summary of what happens when somebody reaches out to make that happen. Well, you come in and you sit down in one of our offices. We've got offices all around, and uh, or we can do this by Zoom. That's easy, too. Um, but the bottom line is we're going to focus on a few things. T Simon just talked about taxes. We're going to focus on taxes. Make sure you're not paying more than you have to. Most of you are paying more taxes then you have to. Also, do you have an income plan in place to be sure you aren't in danger of running out of money if you end up living for 30 or more years? Remember, retirement is like being unemployed for 30 years. You've got to create the income from what you've saved and your guaranteed sources like Social Security. And so do you have a plan in place to do that? We'll put that plan in place. So, so far we've got taxes, minimizing taxes for you, putting a plan in place, an income plan, make sure that you're going to be able to maintain a certain lifestyle throughout retirement based on a reasonable rate of return. And then do you have a plan to address inflation? You've got to address inflation. So, and we put it all together on one page. That's why we call it the money map. It looks like a map. It's great. 
People love it. And so give us a call to set up a time to get that 1-800-705-1232. Again, 1-800-705-1232. No obligation, no cost, no pressure. Just give us a call or you can even text your first and last name and we'll get back to you and set up a time for you to get your personalized, unique money map. You're unique. You need a unique financial plan. And again, that number to call is 800-705-1232. That's 800-705-1232. Call or text, whichever is easiest. If you're calling, just leave a message. Let us know you'd like to get your Money Map Retirement Review. If you're texting, just send your first and last name. Somebody on the team will reach out to you and find a time to get you on the calendar for your Money Map Retirement Review. 800-705-1232 is that number. That's 800-705-1232. One, two, three, two. Joel, thanks as always for your wisdom, and we'll look forward to doing it again next week, right here, same time, same place, on Joel Johnson's Money Wisdom. Money Wisdom is sponsored by Johnson Brunetti. Investment advisory services offered through JB Capital LLC, a registered investment advisor. Insurance products offered through JN Financial LLC. Johnson Brunetti is a paid sponsor of the Yukon Huskies athletic program. Better Money is sponsored by Johnson Brunetti.